Would you like to work closer to home, save money on gas, and be rewarded for your hard work and attendance? Then Belicio Foods is looking for you. That's right, Belicio Foods is now hiring for multiple positions and shifts with great employee benefits, an on-site health clinic, competitive wages, and advancement opportunities. Belicio Foods is a company that truly values their employees. Apply online at BelicioFoods.com slash careers. The Jackson County Fair Board, in conjunction with Total Media, proudly present Neil McCoy. Saturday, July 15th at the Jackson County Fair. VIP track access seats now available for only 30 bucks, which includes admission to the fair. Get tickets now at jacksoncoohfair.com or at the Total Media Studios in Jackson. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Monday edition of the morning show right here on Main Street TV. And it is Monday, and our good friend Pete Wilson is sitting here, which means we must be doing the morning news update, right, Pete? That's what we're doing. All right, and that's so good. We love to spend our Mondays with you. And, of course, morning news updates are brought to you by Nia Henry, agent for Appalachia Realty. And if you have any real estate needs, give Nia a call, 740-418. 4135, and she will be working for you. Okay. All right. How you doing? Did you have a good weekend, Pete? I, yes, I actually got away for a day or two. What? You yeah. did? Nuh-uh. <laughs> yeah, left work just a little early on Friday uh, and uh, was away until Sunday noon. Well, very good. Did you do anything fun? Uh, well, yeah, it was it was relaxing. We met, uh, Pam and I met some uh old friends, uh, Ed and Phyllis McQueen. Mm-hmm. Some people may remember Phyllis McQueen. She was the superintendent of the Oak Hill schools for oh, okay. a number of years. Uh, they are native Kentuckians. And after, you know, they both retired, they moved back to, uh, the Louisville, Kentucky area. And, uh, once or twice a year, we get together with them and we met cool. at a place called Murfin Ridge. Have you ever heard of Murfin Ridge? I have not. What's that? Well, it is a it is a large bed and breakfast that is cool. in the middle of the Adams County Hills. Um, it's kind of like a supposed to be a relaxing getaway type thing. Mm-hmm. It's not just a house. It's got a big guest house and got guest cabins and all like that. They have uh, honestly um, great hospitality and their meal service, which you know, of course, breakfast comes with it, but you can also you know have dinner get too. other stuff too right yeah. you can it just it's it's as it's as good as any restaurant that you get in the big city and you nice. know you're out in the country and uh it gets really good publicity and reviews or just being a relaxing getaway type thing uh you have uh, couples and friends that get away you have uh, newlyweds uh there's business meetings that are there sure some locals go there just to, you know, uh, after they worked hard on the weekend, yeah, but, just but, to chill but, out. <laughs> but they, they draw, they had all sorts of, uh, all sorts of newspaper, uh, articles on the wall, uh, framed where they had positive reviews for their mm-hmm. hospitality and their food. That's so, so good. So it is, it, it, it was, it was very nice and it's a little bit more than an hour. So it's not that yeah, far not away. Far at all. They do advertise statewide. So, I mean, it's, it's, Obviously, you're not going to fill the place if if uh, if you just get Adams County 
um, Adams County customers. Well, probably not. So, but, you know, yeah. they get a lot from Cincinnati, the Cincinnati area, but even beyond. That's so uh, cool. When we were there, we saw license plates from three different states. That should sell you something, shouldn't right, it? Right, it is. Very, very nice. Very nice. I would I would recommend it. Very good. And we've been there several times. And like I say, one of the best things about it, it's not too far away. Exactly. All right. Okay. Well, good. Well, yeah, it was very nice. So we and it a nice respite in the middle of one of the busiest news months. I was gonna say <laughs> well deserved because there is a lot going on. Right. And one of the things most recently going on that we want to talk about. It was last Friday morning, and it really represents a very neat partnership between the Jackson City Schools, the Adena Health System, and um, and uh, the and the community. Okay. Uh, it is the Ironman Clinic. Now, the Ironman very Clinic good. has been operating for a couple of years it, uh, at the Jackson Middle School, and this uh, was another clinic uh, that was started there by Adena in cooperation with the Jackson City Schools to provide extra health care there on site at the middle school. You got a big population there. Yeah. When you talk for about sure. this when you talk about the students and you talk about the staff. And you know, you're talking about, you know, a school nurse or two in the whole district, you know, that could be a lot to yes, deal with. And the school thought that would be a good service. Adina was willing to do it. And uh, they kind of upgraded from what they've been doing for the last couple of years before it was in uh, within the regular middle school building. Mm -hmm. Now it, it has been uh, relocated into uh, into a renovated, uh, remodeled area in the old Jackson Center for Student Achievement Building, where the BOAG, I believe, used to be in past years. Okay, out by kind of where the gymnasium is. Right, over right, okay. right. If, if the locals and people who've gone to the Jackson City Schools, Trego Avenue, mm -hmm. you know, comes, uh, if you jump, uh, if you jump Tropic Street, that it, it goes into the school area and then it, it there's a gymnasium on one side. On the other side, there's a couple of buildings and one of them is where the new Ironman Clinic is. Cool. Uh, just finished a major uh, construction remodeling project where the Ironman Clinic is going in. Uh, our own Stockmeister Enterprises did the uh, construction work. And this past Friday morning, there was a ribbon-cutting ceremony. Oh, cool. Uh, school representatives were there, including, uh, and there you see the ribbon-cutting, uh, Superintendent Phil Howarth from the Jackson City Schools, uh, folks from Adena Health System, including Candace Kennedy, uh, were there, and um, Jackson Mayor Randy Evans there. Uh, there on the left, uh, you see Seth Stockmeister of Stockmeister Enterprises and the uh, this was a, a, everybody was really high about this, uh, about the, uh, praiseworthy of this project, because not only is it going to serve the school population, it's open to the general public as well. Yeah, and, I think and, a lot of people don't realize that. Right, right. And even though we have, you know, we, we, we've got our medical facilities in town and our doctor's offices, and we've got one emergency room, a couple of urgent care centers. Sometimes it's hard to get in. Yeah. Particularly, you know, if, if you have something where you need to see the doctor, but it's not an emergency. Yes. And so this is another option. It is open to the general public. It was created mainly to serve the school population, but um, but they thought from a community service angle, from the school's angle, and certainly from Medina's angle, this was another way to, to serve the public. And so uh, at the ribbon-cutting ceremony at 109 Trego Street, uh, Chamber of Commerce people were there as well. Here is one of the exam rooms. Several exam rooms are, are in there gotcha. uh, as well. And this was made possible by a $300,000 grant of the American Rescue Plan Act. 
this was another way that that federal money, which uh, was awarded uh, through many different reasons in, because of the COVID-19 mm -hmm. crisis, um, this, was, this was a way to provide extra medical care. And so that was the connection between the American Rescue Plan Act helping communities uh, and uh, being willing to, uh, to do things that uh, would Im improve uh, the access of mm -hmm. local health care. And so, you know, this is open now. Um, it has actually been open since 2019. However, it was closed through a short period during the COVID-19 thing. Of course, sure. schools weren't operating. It wasn't, you know, honestly uh, a very good business situation because, you know, this is a business through a dean as mm -hmm. well as a service. And uh, Superintendent Phil Howard, when he made his remarks and uh, our editorial assistant, Alex Shope, was there for the ribbon cutting. We've got a nice article that will go in Wednesday's paper. We'll be putting it online as well. He really saluted Adina's um, commitment to stay with the project, even though there were challenges. Not only the fact that it was new and getting started and a new concept, but you had to come through a COVID situation where, of course, the medical, medical facilities were overtaxed as it was, just dealing with that at their main facilities. Mm -hmm. And so after COVID-19, uh, Phil, uh, Phil Howard was very delighted that, you know, Adina restarted the project and actually, you know, now have expanded it and improved it with the new, with the new facility there uh, at the Jackson Center for cool. Student Achievement. So very nice, that a uh, very positive story. And like I say, we will be reporting on that uh, in our Wednesday paper, and we hope to have that online as well. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's just off the beaten track a little bit. But if you drive back into that little, uh, that, that little part of Trago Avenue on the other side of Tropic Street where, you know, you're pulling into where the gymnasium is, mm -hmm. and that side of the high school, the, yes. I believe that would be the west side of the high or the middle school, you can you can you can see where the Ironman Clinic is. It's to the right there. Okay, very and, good. And that would be important to know. You know, if you ever need to book medical services. There. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, another big story that kind of uh, occurred last weekend after we were uh, or last week after uh, we did our other uh, our last news show mm -hmm. was uh, the uh, retirement or resignation of Jack of Vinton County Common Pleas Judge Jim Salyer. Oh, James P. Salyer. He had been the judge uh, of the Vinton County. There is Jim right there. He had been the judge of the Vinton County Common Police Court since uh, he was appointed starting in April 26, 2020. He was reelected without opposition to a six year term in 2000 in, in the November 2022 election. OK. And uh, we we do have a request out for an interview with Jim. Uh, we've always had a real good uh, relationship with him. But this kind of broke without a lot of notice uh, in the middle of last week hmm. uh, when the Benton County Republican Party posted that they were looking for applicants to uh, fill this position. Uh, the only thing that really has come out that, you know, we can confirm from reliable sources, including the Benton County Republican Party, that at least partially the reason for Judge Salyer stepping down is health reasons. Okay. Uh, yeah, because so, he's so newly re elected. Right. <clears throat> and before before he was the common pleas judge, I mean, he had really, um, you know, made his place in the community, was well known. Athens County native, but really through his professional work as a lawyer ever since, uh, you know, almost out of law school, has been in Vinton County, first as a practicing attorney in one of the law firms. Then he became the county court judge, did that for a number of years. And then he had the opportunity and was appointed to be the common police judge when Jeff Simmons retired 
okay. uh, back in back in uh, 2020. So uh, the process is, uh, you know, we've seen this before in Jackson County. <laughs> we've when just it, had such strange political stuff happen recently. Right. Well, it's not quite like the board of elections or a council member or okay. whatever. The party is involved, but the party in this instance, because this is a partisan position. J Judge Sawyer was a Republican. Okay. It isn't one where the Republican committee meets and picks a successor. Because it's a judicial position, the governor actually does it. However, oh, no kidding. Yeah, the governor actually does it. When, when Chris Reagan was appointed common pleas judge, uh, that was the governor. That was really? the governor. That I made did that not choice. know that. Okay. However, the Republican Party uh, in each locale, when one of these opening comes up, the judicial opening comes up, and it's a partisan, it's a partisan appointment or a partisan position, meaning it's a Republican or Democrat, the party gets to screen possible applicants and make recommendations. Okay. And, and like for instance, I mean, so they do it, have a little bit of a say right, in it. Right. I don't know. Uh, I do not know whether they make a recommendation on one person, two persons, or three persons. I know it's been as many as three persons in the past. Okay. But then the governor then, you know, takes into consideration, you know, the party screening, and you know, you figure the locals know their their know the judicial candidates as well as anybody. And, you know, party loyalty may or may not be a big thing, but, you know, you do have to be, you would, in this case, would have to be a Republican. Not sure how many people are qualified for the job because mm -hmm. there's extra credentials or whatever. But once the screenings are done, once the, the, the deadline uh, for people making application uh, for the judge to the Vinton County Republican Party is actually today. So it's through today, May the 15th. And then at some point, I'm sure very soon, the Vinton County Republican Party will meet, screen those applicants, and then send a recommendation or recommendations. Um, you know, the governor's office may say, hey, give us three names, give us two names, give us, you know, more than one if there is more than one person. Yeah. And then they will actually choose. They may not choose who the party uh, recommends. That is up to that is up to the governor. Wow. And uh, they try to move it as fast as possible, but obviously, uh, you know, they try to be as careful. But uh, Judge Sawyer will remain in his position as common police judge at least into June. So there may not be, you know, a break in somebody serving. Yeah, because you kind of have to as, have somebody. As the judge. This isn't one where, you know, there's a, there's a, that I know of where there's a certain date where Judge Sawyer is going to leave. Right. So, you know, it'll take place probably within the next month anyway, this, this move to a new judge. And uh, there are, uh, there are, um, credentials that you have to have. Uh, I'll tell you what they are. Uh, mm -hmm. You have to, uh, you have to uh, be a registered voter. You must live in Vinton County. You must have six, at least six years of uh, practice of law. You have to be under the age of 70. Uh, all those things you have to uh, have as qualifications or uh, guidelines to be an applicant. And uh, you just contact Rhonda Dutch, who is the Vinton County Republican Party chair by email or by phone. And then you'll be then then you will be in the hopper, I guess. You know, uh, we candidate. could almost qualify for that. Oh, we could. Minus the law stuff. Oh, minus the law <laughs> stuff. Okay. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> but Judge Sawyer, um, just a little bit of background on him. Uh, he came to Vinton County in 1995, shortly after getting out of law school. He was a member of the MacArthur-based law firm uh, that was headed up by Bob Grillo, who is now mm -hmm. the probate juvenile judge. Uh, he also was at one time the legal counsel for the village of MacArthur. Okay. Uh, he went on uh, later to be uh, the Vinton County 
the Benton County Court Judge was elected. Served, he has served a total of uh, 16 and a half years as the Benton County Court Judge. So he's done that for quite some time. So when it came time for the Common Pleas Judge opening to be filled, obviously he was a leading candidate. Makes and he sense. was chosen uh, as, as the new Common Pleas Court Judge. So we will see what happens there. We will follow that. But once again, the ultimate decision is with the governor's office. Okay. <clears throat> All right. On the uh, criminal justice front, uh, there was a news release put out by the Ohio State Auditor. That is Keith Faber. And that regarded a um, finding for recovery that was issued by the auditor's office regarding uh, money which was... Um, stolen from the Jackson County Sheriff's Office. We've talked about this case before, but this is a little bit of a different angle on it. Uh, Cheryl Brady, former uh, employee of the, of the Jackson County Sheriff's Office, was uh, indicted and then later convicted of uh, stealing money. Uh, okay. She was a front office person, took money, took in the money for the background checks. Uh, anyway... Yep. She was accused of stealing money from the sheriff's office over a period of several years. There was an investigation done. She ended up being indicted, was ultimately uh, convicted. And since then, uh, the auditor's office now has issued a finding for recovery of $45,692. This was just issued last Thursday. This is new information. Okay. Um, she had been sentenced to prison earlier for stealing fees paid by residents seeking concealed carry, handgun licenses, and background checks. The total was $37,964 that they said she stole. The okay. reason that the finding for recovery has gone up to $45,692, which she is personally responsible for, is that, those, is that there was audit costs of $7,728.50 for the investigation slash audit. Gotcha. So... She is responsible to pay $45,000 there. Um, just a little background on that case. Uh, back in uh, October 2019, Sheriff Ted Frazier, after internal review, uncovered discrepancies in deposits of these permit fees. Mm -hmm. The Auditor Special Investigating Unit was called in. That's a law enforcement division of his office. And the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation also was involved. They conducted a joint investigation and ultimately determined that Brady had pocketed cash payments from November 2018 through October 2019, at least $37,964, which, of course... Okay, uh, that makes sense. Right, and the figure for the finding recovery is slightly uh, less than that, but only about like $300. She was indicted in May 2021, and uh, she was later convicted and sentenced just this last February to 36 months in prison. In addition to paying restitution, uh, she also was permanently banned from holding public office. Let me ask you this, Pete, because you're in kind of a, a position in working, that's kind of a law enforcement position, mm -hmm. I, I would think. Is there an extra penalty when you're given kind of a, like, you know, if you're a police officer or someone working for the police, is there, you know, do you get penalized extra for that. I just wondered if that was a well, thing. I think there's a particular charge. Because it's almost like you're taking advantage of, right. there, well, of your position. There's a, a particular job, theft in public office or something like that it might be greater than theft. I'm really not sure about the degree of the crime, yeah, but I'm, 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 guessing, I'm guessing that it might be worse than if you steal from a private business, potentially. Yeah. 
Then, of course, you know, there's uh, what, the, what is uh, chosen on the charges by a grand jury or the prosecutor, and then what a judge decides. And sure. there's always a certain range that the judge has to rule on. You know, he or yeah. she may go on one side or the other, and then usually, almost always, restitution is involved as part of it because, you know, to get the money back. You stole the money, you right. have to pay it right. back, I, right? I've always wondered, and I know uh, this used to be a problem, it sounds real good when, you know, a person has to pay restitution, but can they pay restitution? Well, it's called squeezing blood from a turnip, right? Right, right. And, you know, ultimately, can you? Maybe, at some, maybe at some point you, you may be able to, but I'm not, there is usually a limit on the number of years where this is supposed to be paid. And if you can't pay, can they extend it? I think that becomes problematic, or it used to be. You know, I don't want to go in territory I'm not sure about, but I remember in the past, that was always a consideration. Five years later, after somebody maybe hasn't paid $15,000, does anybody even hear about it? Correct. But obviously, that should be part of the charge. In some cases, maybe some people through family connections or whatever, uh, or maybe they had money in a bank account or something, mm -hmm. you know, they'll be able to, to pay that. Mm. But I know in Cheryl Brady's case, um, uh, this didn't come out in this particular story. But I know that uh, that a drug problem supposedly fueled uh, her situation. I think I remember that. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. So also on the criminal justice front, this was something that we heard about, but we had to track down the information and confirm it. I give Alex Shope, who is usually not on the law enforcement beat, a lot of credit for doing this. But back, this happened back on April 7. There was an investigation that followed, hmm. and uh, you know it took uh, you know it took you know, the better part of two weeks to for, it, for charges to be filed. But it involved the firing of a gun outside of the corner pub, uh, which is in downtown Jackson. That's a no-no. Right. That's on Friday, April the 7th. And, uh, you know, it occurred in uh, Friday evening, late Friday evening, as a matter of fact. you got to be kidding me. On, on Friday, April the 7th, uh, it all started out with the police getting a 911 call reporting a fight outside of the pub. Uh, it said that someone had started firing a gun outside of that location, not necessarily at somebody, but they were firing a gun and they were angry. There was a confrontation. Oh, that great. Was involved. Yeah, that's uh, the then good. unidentified male left with two others in a black uh, Chevrolet Silverado truck, uh, diesel truck. And uh, it had a small lift kit that had blackened windows and a black drop hitch with a silver ball attached. All that mattered because they were trying to tie trying a to find the truck. Right, a description yeah. of the truck. Also, the male who was who uh, was seen by witnesses uh, involved in this altercation and making the threats and potentially firing the gun, allegedly firing the gun, had uh, had a Kenworth jacket or clothing on. Oh. You know, that a further way to identify, possibly okay. identify this person. Well, the Jackson police launched an investigation. Uh, they did find uh, two bullet casings uh, outside there to confirm that there was, uh, you know, a firearm. Oh, wow. That was fired. That's scary. Uh, two other patrons both provided details regarding the incident, but still initially the shooter was not identified. Uh, four days later on April 11th, uh, the police had gathered enough information uh, that they uh, that they went to the residence of a person of interest at nineteen not at nineteen three thirty four State Route three twenty seven near Wellston. It was the resident of Patrick Waldron who was the person of interest. Uh, 
Um, they were able to confirm that Waldron had been wearing a Kenworth branded clothing and that he had been there that night. He admitted that he was there that night. He admitted even having a knife in his hand at one time during this altercation. Didn't use it, but had it in hand. Yeah. He did not admit, but did not deny that he may have fired a gun. He just said he couldn't remember that, you know, he was, <laughs> he was, he was not, you know, he had been to the pub and was, uh, uh, compromised and, and maybe intoxicated and he, he couldn't, couldn't remember. Okay. Um, but anyway, um, through, uh, through later investigation, they did, uh, confirm that he did work at Kenworth. Uh, you know, so it's possible that he had Kenworth clothing on. Mm -hmm. Uh, they never did, um, uh, that I know of, uh, get a firearm that linked him to that directly. However, his pickup truck, uh, was in line with the description of the pickup oh, truck that okay. was there at the scene. Uh, he ended up being taken into custody. Um, they seized an iPhone and an Apple watch as potential evidence. Uh, he was transported to the Jackson uh, Police Department and later charged with discharging a firearm upon or over a public roadway, highway, and also weapons under disability. He was later transported to the Jackson County Correctional Facility and transferred to their custody. Uh, his, uh, a oh female my. companion who was with him, who uh, gave police some information, she also um, gave him, gave some testimony, but said that she wasn't aware that he had fired a gun. She denied that part of it or wasn't aware of that part of it. Uh, she has not been charged in that incident. So uh, that, that gentleman's name, once again, Patrick Waldron, uh, that case, you know, likely will be making its way through court. But indeed, there was shots fired in the air, apparently, uh, as a result of this altercation. Wow. Started in the bar and went outside the bar, and that's where the shots were fired. Okay. That's a bit scary, Pete. Right. Well, we will have that story coming up uh, in, uh, in, the, in the Telegram very soon, hopefully in our next edition. Like I say, took a little bit of time for the police to to the police department to conduct its investigation and determine who they feel was responsible. Right. Uh, determine what happened, talk to witnesses, you know, usually just happen with your snap of your fingers. It takes some follow-up. Oh, for sure. And, uh, then of course we had to work with the police to get the report and see what could be released and like that. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, a story on the public affairs front from Benton County. Uh, the last two, Benton County Commissioner's meeting. This would be May 2 and May 9. And Red Thompson Jr. stayed on this, had to do some follow-up work uh, with a principal party involved in this to make sure that we got this right. Uh, very interesting situation the commissioners are dealing about uh, in, regarding legalities at the Vinton County Airport. The commissioners own the Vinton County Airport land, of course. Okay. Initially, the Vinton County Airport land was owned by a Gene Angle with the Benedict mm -hmm. Coal Company. Mm -hmm. And at some point, I don't even know how many years ago it was, he donated land there at the airport for the building of the airport. For the airport, yeah. And sure. on that property was a well that provided water service to what is now the airport, as well as for at least four residents that are, were not part of the donation, but near where the well was. Okay. All right. For years, uh, the, those residents have gotten mon have gotten their water from this well. Uh, that was something that you know that Benedict uh, provided. Uh, some of those may have been his employees at one time or whatever. 
and they built mm-hmm. private residences. That would on, make sense. But I don't know whether it was on his land at one time, but it's near his land. And the well that's on now on county-owned land at the airport serves not only the airport, but those residents. Okay. Okay, well, the Vinton County Prosecutor's Office, um, led by Assistant Prosecutor William Archer, brought it to the commissioner's attention. I guess this had maybe come up before, and but nothing was done about it. Uh, no action was taken. Maybe it was still under review. But the Vinton County Prosecutor's Office feels that there is a potential legal problem there because basically... Uh, you know, these residents are getting well water from county-owned property, county-owned well, and they're not paying for it. Even if the commissioners tried to charge them for it, they have no legal avenue right now to get into the water business, so as to speak. So um, this is something that the residents were supposed to get that Mr. Angle provided, and they have ever since then, uh, but the county says there's liability problems and there's also no legal mechanism to where they can sell, even sell the water to them, at least right now. Okay. And so the commissioners have been advised, you got to stop doing this. So Well, you can't just cut people's water off. N- no, you don't want to do that. And so they've got a time window that's ticking right now, uh, anywhere uh, from, um, let's see what it is, anywhere they've notified, let's see, the commissioners feel they must follow the law no matter what their personal feelings are and what they feel are appropriate measures based on what the prosecutor's office has told them. Um, the commissioners, based on this legal advice, have decided to cut the water off in 90 days at the soonest. It wouldn't be any sooner than that. And six months at the latest. The residents can apply to the county development department for assistance in building a new well. So they would have to build a new well. Apparently, it's not where county water lines are. I'm guessing. Yeah, or they wouldn't be in that, this situation. That, or, right, or maybe it's possible that they could hook on at some time or whatever. I don't know. But the 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 uh, option that was talked about was building a well off the county-owned property that could serve these residents. I don't know how big of a job that is, how much it would cost. I don't know The either. residents, I presume, would have to bear the cost of that, but they would probably share it. But anyway, uh, the residents who were served by that, they've been at the commissioner's meetings. Of course, William Archer is the assistant prosecutor. He was the one delivering this news to the commissioners, and the commissioners are kind of stuck in a bad place. They don't Ooh. they don't want to take away yeah. water service. This is unfortunate. They don't want to take away water service, but the prosecutor's office is telling them it was illegal to do what is being done. Nobody was trying to be a bad guy or anything like that. It's just circumstances. Uh, apparently, it was glossed over at the time, not realized at the time, uh, overlooked, whatever. <laughs> uh, but now the prosecutor's okay. office, who is responsible, you know, for liability and legal questions to keep things the way they need to be legal, they're telling the commissioners in a public meeting the county cannot be in the water business, okay. uh, either selling or giving away. Yeah. So that, once again, was a big issue aired at the last commissioner's meeting. All right, another uh, another uh, story on the public affairs front from Wellston uh, is uh, the, what's happening with the McNally-Pittsburgh building. The McNally-Pittsburgh building, of course, that was home to a major industry at one time. Yes. It's been empty and shuttered for a long time. The city owns the building. The city of Wellston owns the building. They've been trying to market it for some time. Mm-hmm. However, the problem with it, in addition, you know, being an older building, and off the beaten track a little bit. It's kind of in a residential section on the city's southeast side. Um, when possible tenants have been looking at it, 
you know, they say it's just not what we need and it's too big. It's too big for, for the type of, uh, I guess, the people that have looked at it, at least the, the businesses or industries that have looked at it. So in the meantime, the city has used it as a makeshift city garage, not meant to be necessarily permanent, but, you know, let's get some use out of it while we're trying to market it. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, Mayor Anthony Brenner uh, brought, has brought this up. It's been discussed really uh, in the last two meetings. Probably it has it earlier before, but he has decided, you know, if we can't sell it, why don't we just make it a permanent city garage, you know? So we get some use out of it. You know, okay. it's too big for what the city needs for it, too, as a city garage, but they could use part of it. Do, I, you may have said this. Do, does the city own it? The city, or, the, city, okay. the city owns the property. And so, you know, they want to use it. But better yet, they would, since they don't need a building that big, they would like to sell it to somebody, get the money, and maybe create some jobs. Correct. Somebody else creates some jobs. But doesn't look like that's going to happen. So uh, before they pull the trigger and say they're not going to sell it and maybe... Uh, do more adaptation so it'll work better as a city garage rather than just a makeshift city garage. Uh, they're going to do a, uh, at least Anthony Brenner at least has uh, proposed this, and I suppose it will happen, touring the building prior to the next council meeting. Mm-hmm. That will be Thursday, May the 18th. That's this coming Thursday. Okay. And so that'll give, uh, you know, the city council members a chance to see firsthand what they have there. Gotcha. And what direction they want to do. Um there's also uh, also um, a similar situation with the newer Millennium Building, which is right next to the McNally Pittsburgh Building. Remember that used to be a telemarketing, telemarketing thing, right? Yeah. Well, it is not being used right now either. It's a smaller building, and it has been suggested as a place for possibly the Wellston Police Department. Okay. It would be, you know, the police would have their own, they're in their own place. It would be a little bigger than what they have now, which is basically in the basement of the Wellston City Building. Kind of small okay. for a police department there. Now, the disadvantage would be it would be away from the city building. Now, which building is that that Dylan just put that up? That is there? the McNally Pittsburgh building okay. right there. Yep, that's a big building, Pete. That is a big building, and part of it is being used for a city garage. And you can see a big property like that, you know. A, you hate to have it there not used. Yep. And I don't know whether there's been any talk about demolishing it. I don't think so because it's an existing building that's there. And it's not, honestly, a perfect, an ideal site because yep. it's off the beaten track a little yep. bit. And uh, uh, I know that they uh, were hoping, I know that they uh, had used three quarters of a million dollars, almost 705000 uh, for a brownfield remediation project to make it more ready. Okay. But, but even though they have this project, I'm not sure what the status of it is. Even with that, they still have not been able to find a buyer. Gotcha. Doesn't mean they can't, but that was what, uh, what Anthony Brenner's come to the conclusion that maybe it's best that we maybe quit trying to sell it and find a way to use it. Okay. Um, since it's around 930, Dylan, do you want to hear from our friends from the Vinton County National Bank? Then we'll be back. At Vinton County National Bank, we believe in supporting the areas where we live and work. Now, we'd like to honor those who also serve our communities. Our new Community Champions account is especially for first responders, veterans, active military, and anyone employed in the fields of healthcare or education. This account offers rewards, discounts, and other benefits to those who give so much to others. Vinton County National Bank, rewarding those who serve. 
Very good. Remember, Vinton County National Bank, Jackson Banking Center right here. You can take advantage of some of these really, really cool accounts. All right. Uh, do you know what last Friday was here in Jackson County? Oh, geez. No. Well, it didn't apply to you, okay. but maybe one day it will. Jackson County Senior Citizens Day. Okay. I mean, it was party time. I feel like the, I'm pretty close. Right. Oh, no, you're not. <laughs> at the Wagon Wheelers Hall. How fun. Uh, right. They've had this every day. It's in conjunction with Older Americans Month, which is May. And the Jackson County Board of Aging, a.k.a. the Senior Citizens Center, uh, has, always, has always done this. They've had this out at Canner's Cave before. They had it at Wagon Wheelers. Now, remember that the Wagon Wheelers Square Dance Club, which, you know, has, you know, declined in numbers and like that, and they just don't have an organ, an active organization mm -hmm. anymore. They made that building available to the senior citizens so, you know, they could use it and also rent it out, mm -hmm. extra income. And so they had their own party there for Senior Citizens awesome. Day. Awesome. And one of the, I mean, it was mainly a social thing. You're talking about a free meal. You're talking about entertainment. Uh, John Hensler, Jackson County Commissioner, was doing some gospel singing there. Uh, they had some games, line dancing, and so forth. But uh, the the big event or the big announcement there was the Jackson County Senior Citizen of the Year Award, and it was <gasps> Ronnie Henderson. There is Ronnie right in the middle there. Uh, he uh, does some work at the Senior Citizen Center as well as being the Senior Citizen Center or Senior Citizen of the Year. On the left there is Susan Morgan, who is the director of the Jackson County yeah. Board of Aging, and that is Wendy James, mm -hmm. who uh, Wendy James, who is the uh, her title is activities and marketing director. She's doing the job that Lisa Warren's used to do. Gotcha. She's there on the right, and uh, uh, Red Thompson Jr. was there. Uh, said it was a great time. Everybody had a good time, and Mr. Henderson. I want to tell you why he's honored. Uh, first of all, he graduated from Washington Township High School, which is up near Wellston, was in the United States Marine Corps. He retired from uh, the railroad, from, from uh, a railroad uh, related employment at B&O and CRX. Uh, he and his wife, Judy, attend the Grace Baptist Fellowship of Wellston. And they have been married, listen to this, 63 years. How that about that? That is awesome. Four children, nine grandchildren, 11 great grandchildren. But uh, Ronnie... Uh, Ronnie uh, was uh, given the Outstanding Senior Citizen Award because he has been a long-term employee of the Board of Aging. Uh, he uh, is described as a joyful, energetic, ambitious, reliable, and hard worker, very knowledgeable. Uh, Wendy says that he is the human GPS to them. He knows the county very well because, <laughs> you know, they go out on their routes uh, to deliver the home-delivered meals and their transportation services, and Ronnie always knows, you know, the places, the geography awesome. of Jackson County. So congratulations. Congratulations. Ronnie Henderson. Yes. We know he watches the paper. Uh, we, I've known him for a long time. Uh, very proud of his children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. Very cool. All right. Another positive thing to report out of Wellston, uh, for their alumni activities, which are, are coming up on Saturday evening, May the 27th, John Pelletier is the president of the Alumni Association, another yep. hat that he wears. Another one, huh? In conjunction with the Wellston City Schools, they do what is called the Wall of Achievement Honoree. Okay. It's always usually one person every year, could be alive, could be deceased, but somebody who has a connection with Wellston or the Wellston City Schools who is worthy of permanent uh, honor status. They have chosen this year as the honoree, the late Vice Admiral John Sylvester. 
okay. and we do have a photo of him. There he is uh, mm -hmm. in his admiral, vice admiral outfit. Uh, what a distinguished person! I knew, I knew of, uh, I knew of Doctor John, I knew of uh, John E. Sylvester, uh, who was. Um, let me see, make, make sure I got my names right. John Sylvester. Uh, was a vice admiral, but another Sylvester, who the library is named after, was a longtime editor in Wellston. Okay, so that was a uh, that was a uh, that was a relation. Uh, anyway, uh, Mr. Sylvester graduated from Wellston High School in uh, 1922, and he had a long career in the Navy. Ended up as a uh, vice admiral. Uh, retired in 1965 with the rank of vice admiral. At one time, he was the deputy chief of naval operations for logistics. And he served as commander of the amphibious forces, United States Pacific Fleet, actually, for a total of three years from 1958 to 60. Um, he will be honored posthumously at this uh, Wilson High School alumni banquet on Saturday evening, May the 27th. And John would want me to say that tickets for the alumni banquet are available uh, it's a wonderful evening. Been there before. It includes a full dinner buffet that starts at 5 p.m. The alumni program will start at 6 p.m. and uh, it, and there will be a social hour in there as well. The cost, just saying they're having prime ribs, so sign up. Right. The cost of each ticket is only twenty dollars for all that. Yeah. That is something else. Huge buffet. Uh, alumni banquet tickets are now on sale at Brodigan Sports and Trophies on South Ohio Avenue in Wilson. Once again, this year's honoree for. Uh, the Wellston Walls of Achievement in conjunction with the Wellston uh, High School Alumni Association is John E. Sylvester. Cool. All right. Uh, there was a, a, a notable person, a state person, high-ranking person that came to the Oak Hill FFA banquet, which was last Saturday morning. Red okay. Thompson was there. We're going to have a report on the banquet. But what we wanted to say, uh, the special celebrity who was there uh, Matt Bennett, who does such a great job with the Oak Hill FFA, uh, managed to get the Ohio Director of Agriculture, Brian Baldridge, there as a guest, special guest speaker. And Brian Baldridge uh, spoke, cool. spoke there at the banquet. And, uh, you know, he, uh, he told the FFA members uh, to go with gusto for their dreams and uh, told them, you know, that they just need to dream big and put hard work behind their dreams. And, you know, that's good, good counsel for any graduation or, or any graduation or any group of seniors. But that is Brian Baldridge there at the podium. And that is some of the FFA members there that uh, FFA officers there that were listening to him, FFA members there as well. And like I say, we will have a report on that uh, mm -hmm. coming up. All right. Another thing that's happening in Jackson that's positive, once again, just a great story of community involvement uh, that is uh, just now uh, taking place that we can tell you about. We heard about it first at the last Jackson City Council meeting on Monday evening, but since then there's been a Facebook post uh, that Amanda Crabtree has put out. But the goal is to uh, repair and rehab the tennis courts at Eddie Jones Park. Yes. Now, these tennis courts were, were put in at the park some time ago. <laughs> But they, a few they, years ago, right, Pete. They, they've fallen into disrepair <laughs> yes. a little bit. And the, the main problem over there is the flooding. Yeah. You know, whenever, you know, the, the water comes up, those tennis courts can not only, uh, they can be flooded. They can mm -hmm. have sanding water on them just like they can out on the ball fields when it rains a lot. Yes. And so, you know, it's made the courts unplayable sometimes. It's left uh, some damage there. 
they have been used, but they're just not in the greatest condition. Right. Well, this community group, they don't really, their, their Facebook name is Jackson Rackets and Paddles. And they propose to the city, if they do a bunch of the labor, they put some work and maybe some money into it into fixing up the courts. Would the city do some of the heavier labor, mm-hmm. uh, like replacing, like like uh, taking out and putting in the new poles and like that? Sure. Would they do that? And Mayor Randy Evans and council were, uh, you know, elated about this uh, and appreciative of what this group is wanting to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kay Howe was there to speak to that group. Amanda Crabtree and her husband, H.D. Crabtree, who happens to be a city councilman, mm-hmm. were there as well. Uh, and the side story on this is, even though uh, there is a need for the tennis courts to be fixed, mm-hmm. there is uh, a sport that's become very popular in recent <laughs> years called pickleball. Yes. Uh, Pat Eisenogle, who's, a, the, I think he's the president of the YMCA board. He kind of got it started or he's kind of the father of pickleball in town. <laughs> so he's very much for this. He came to the city council meeting too, but I did not know this. Many people don't know what pickleball is, but a pickleball court and a tennis court align. Yeah, you can play pickleball similar, on a yeah. tennis court. Yeah. In other words. So not only will this be the rehab of tennis courts for tennis players, but it will be another place for all those pickleball players to play. There is organized pickleball at the YMCA, yes. but it's inside. And of course, there's lots of activities there at the YMCA and the gymnasium. So it's not available for pickleball all the time. Correct. There are tennis courts that are available at the Y, but there's only two and they're not available all the time. Yep. Uh, sometimes they're, I think they're locked up and you have to ask to use them. It, it, they are available to the public, but the high school uses them. So they're not available all the time either. Right. So this would make four courts available over at the Eddie Jones Park that could be also used for pickleball. Cool. Uh, through this Facebook group, uh, this was just announced, um, I think, yesterday. Uh, they have named, uh, they have announced a work session, two work sessions, one for tomorrow evening. That is Tuesday, uh, May, the, uh, May the 16th from 6 to 8 p.m. over there at Eddie Jones Park, and then again on Saturday from 9 a.m. to 12 to get the courts ready for new poles, nets, and paint. There's cleanup work that needs to be done mainly, and so they are asking volunteers, not only the people you know that are in uh, in this group that came to council, right? they're asking other people to come, bring shovels and wheelbarrows and their time to help do the labor part of it that you know the group is going to do on its own to... Uh, that will that will precede what the city will do as okay. far as actually taking out the poles and putting in the new poles and so forth. So that's two. Uh, that's uh, if you're interested in playing pickleball or or tennis, either one, so and you cool. haven't heard about this, um, something like this doesn't happen unless uh, you know enough people get involved. And I know that there is a core group who's really dedicated to it, and and you know they're saying they're going to do it. All they needed was cooperation from the city to allow them to do it and to work with them with a limited amount of work on the city's side. And so, you know, this is going forward, uh, the two work sessions, one on Tuesday evening and then uh, next Saturday, uh, you know, during the day from uh, or during the morning from 9 a.m. to noon. Uh, If you want to learn more about it, there's a Facebook page called Jackson Rackets and Pedals and paddles mm-hmm. that's been uh that's started by the administrator amanda crabtree mm-hmm. and so you know she can give you information about it Kay how can give you information about it hd crabtree can there are others too pat eisenogle i know will be a big advocate as well he was at the council meeting uh as well now one of the things they discussed at the council meeting has nothing to do with this work project uh they know that one of the problems is the um uh, the uh 
flood-prone problem over there at Eddie Jones Park. They know that in the long term, that's going to be a temporary solution. They don't want to wait for, you know, a facility to be built somewhere. I mean, they're going to have to figure out uh, where land might be available, how much it's going to cost, how much right. it's going to start, be from start from scratch. But that is the longer term vision. You know, and I'm sure they're thinking that if more people get involved because of these courts being rehabbed, that more people will get on board with a more permanent solution later on. Okay. So that's one of the great things that's happening in Jackson. That's great. Hasn't happened yet, but you know, there's some people willing to put to put some work behind their words. I think it'll it'll be great. Right. Okay. Uh, what else do we want to talk about? The city of Jackson uh, is ready to address high grass violations. Uh, we had an item in our in our Saturday paper. Uh, there are certain dates that you have to mow by in Jackson, mm -hmm. but grass cannot be more than 12 inches high. Now, at the last council meeting, David Swackhammer, the service director, said that he, uh, it, they're not, the city's not going to, they have a code enforcement officer named Ray Lewis. Mm -hmm. They're not going to go around with a ruler looking for 12 inches or more, but they are going to address the worst of the worst, yep. is how Swackhammer put it. So if you haven't cut your grass and it's unsightly, and the city uh, sees it, or maybe you even have another person complain about it, mm -hmm. the city is going to enforce its its ordinance. The ordinance, uh, as first-time violators, could be charged with a minor misdemeanor. That carries a fine of up to $150 in community service. And if you don't, if you have a second violation or uh, you don't take care of it, it could get worse from a legal standpoint. Here's the deal. It costs less uh, than $150 to hire someone to mow your grass. So mow your grass. Right. Uh, we're going to move quickly here because Jeremiah Shaver's here to talk about a couple of neat things that's going on uh, that he covered. Armed Forces Day Picnic. I know you're going to hear more about that later this week here on the TV show, I think. Okay. But it's, it's, I think they've only done this one year before, but it's going to be held again this Saturday at Manpower Park. Armed Forces Day Picnic, the local veterans organizations, most of them are involved in it. So is the Jackson County Veterans Service Office. It's just a free picnic for veterans and their families. Awesome. Uh, at Manpower Love Park. That. It will be from 12 uh, p.m. to 4 Uh the, the free event is actually open to the public, but it is targeted, of course, for veterans and their families. Of course. There'll be a cookout, a live band, bouncy houses for the kids. If you want to learn more about it, check the VFW Post 8402 Facebook page. All right, uh, just a couple of things in sports we can tell you real quick. Congratulations to the Wellston High School softball team. Uh, last, uh, last Thursday, uh, they uh, defeated... Piketon six to nothing to win a sectional title at home. Uh, this was their sixth straight Division three sectional tournament title, which tells you something about the caliber of the yeah, Wellston girls softball program. They're doing program. something up there, right? Hannah Potts. We want to give her special credit. She is a young pitcher for Wellston. Yep. There she is, getting ready to throw. All she did was strike out nineteen batters. <laughs> nineteen nineteen batters. You can't do much better than that. The win was their Lady Rockets' seventeenth of the season. They've only lost six games. They will be playing tonight at 6 p.m. against Colgrove at Unioto High School in the first round of the district tournament. You go, girls. All right. And, of course, the Jackson Ironmen will be playing tonight. That's why I have the red shirt on. This is the first round of the tournament. They are playing Gallia Academy. Okay. Jackson defeated Megs, by the way, last Friday 12-1. to 1, So they're kind of Whoa. rolling. They're like, I think, 18-5 and five now. Wow. And so, uh, once again, this Monday... Uh, at 5 o'clock, broadcast time, maybe a few minutes before, Dan Morrow and I will be on hand for a first-round Division II sectional baseball tournament game at against the Gallia Academy Blue Devils. It'll be at home. If Jackson wins, 
They will play at home again on Wednesday, and we'll nice. have that game for you. Got to win, though. But that would be against the winner of another game tonight between Miami Trace and Greenfield. Okay. All right. We also want to uh, report on the uh, TVC Ohio, or the TVC track meet, conference track meet, the big, yep. big track event held at Benton County High School uh, last Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had Red Thompson Jr. there for that. And uh, neither Wellston or Benton County placed first. Athens was first for both boys and girls. Okay. However, Kimmy Aubrey from Wellston High yes. School, she is a junior and an outstanding athlete. She was the high point girl. And that is Kimmy uh, in the long jump there. Uh, all Kimmy did, uh, she won the high point award with 32 points on her own. She was first place in the long jump, second place in the high jump, uh, and she second. She was second in the 200-meter dash and third in the 400-meter dash. She did everything, 32 points on her very own. Wow. So congratulations <laughs> to Kimmy Aubrey. Way to go, Kimmy. And we'll have, of course, all the sports reports uh, in our next paper. I think the TVC uh, stuff, the track meet, was in last Saturday's paper and the softball was as well. And we'll have new stuff because we got these tournament games going on tonight, too. Very good. All right. I'm going to get out of the way because Jeremiah Shaver. <gasps> Jeremiah is he here. Went, he went down on the farm on Friday. Oh. <laughs> and so he's going to tell you all about it and show you show you some pictures from there. Very good. Thanks, Pete. Appreciate you spending your morning with us. Well, Morning, hi, buddy. Jen. How are you? Good. How are you doing? So before we get to the farm, I want to talk about a... Uh, we had a breaky, a little bit of a breaking news story Friday afternoon. Okay. That I wanted to touch on. So at approximately 3:28 p.m. on Friday, May 12th, emergency personnel were dispatched to a two-vehicle crash involving a school bus, Jen. That's never good. Never good. Not at all. So this uh, this incident involving a school bus happened on Beaver Pike between Lake Catherine Road and Austin Way there in Liberty Township. Gotcha. Uh, not too far past uh, Westview Elementary there yeah, out Beaver Pike. Pretty close. Yeah, not too not too far away. And uh, Dylan's just showing some photos of the scene out there. When I got out there, um, a little bit about the crash. Uh, according to the High State Highway Patrol, Penny Landrum, fifty five of Jackson, was operating a. Uh, 2012 Thomas built school bus number 23. It was occupied by eight students. Landrum was traveling westbound on Beaver Pike when she slowed to a stop to drop a student. At this time, the school bus was struck in the rear by a westbound 2001 Honda CRV that was being operated by Leah Christian, 59 of Piketon. Oh my gosh, that's terrifying. Yeah, so, um, Christian uh, sustained no injuries in her Honda there, but I'd say the car's probably a total loss. Yeah. It was pretty smashed up in the front there. Uh, Landrum and the eight students uh, received no injuries either. Oh, thank goodness. So no no one was injured in this. And uh, when I was out there, I heard them saying that a secondary school bus was going to be brought in to, sc- to secure those eight children. Um, that has to shake you up, though. Yeah. Doesn't it? Yeah. And... Um, Miss Christian was cited for failure to maintain assured clear distance ahead, and the High State Highway Patrol would like to remind motorists to always be mindful of school bus safety and to 
just just pay attention during pickup and drop off hours of school. Absolutely, buddy. I see a school bus, I stop. I don't yes. care whether they got I their stop, little thing I always out or stop not. Way back, yeah. <laughs> I do too. I'm like, I, I just, don't know how far I'm supposed to be, but I'm just going to stop way back here. Yeah. <laughs> scares me to death. I do not want to be responsible for anybody's child. Right. Right. So we uh, we had that incident happen there uh, Friday afternoon. Ran out to it real quick. Oh, thank goodness, no one uh, Everybody, everybody was okay. So that's yes. that was a good outcome of that, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as Pete talked about, we're going to head out to the farm. So for the first time in three years, the Vinton Jackson Vinton Farm Bureau was able to hold its annual <gasps> Agriculture Experience Day. June. Yay! It's I don't back. know. I don't know if you've ever been to that, um, but this is the first time they've been able to hold it since that would be what 2019. Yeah, it's be been able a to while. Hold it in person, and Dylan's just going to show some photos, action shots here of out there. Um, this this event is held in partnership with the Ohio State University Extension Office here in Jackson County, and the it's the um, Ohio Agriculture Research and Development Center, the research farm out there off of uh, Standpipe. Oh, look how cute. Uh, yeah, you have Josh Winters <laughs> there, uh, ag agent um, yeah. with the sheep. Some of the kids were checking, <laughs> checking the sheep out. There was oh lots of animals gosh. out there, Jen, for the kids to check out. Um, I talked to Jackson Vinton Farm Bureau President Mick Scott. And he told uh, me that the goal of Ag Experience Day is to give students a taste of what agriculture is and what it means throughout a child's life. This year, the event brought approximately 400 second grade students from, wow. uh, I think it was seven schools across Jackson and Benton counties. So all the schools in Benton County, all the elementary schools in Benton County attended and um, Jackson City Schools and the Oak Hill Union local schools attended Wilson City Schools was not on hand this year. I guess they had like an in-service day. Okay. So the students Shoot. weren't there. But usually oh, there's about 600, 600 kids out there for this. Um, second graders um, going from station to station. They have a number of stations It has a up. leash on. Yeah. That, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that rabbit did. Have a leash on. Yeah, lots, lots of, lot of, lot of opportunities for the kids to um, interact with the different animals out there. That's amazing. Um, a part of this that they always do, and um, it was uh, Jackson Vinton Farm Bureau senior organizer director Kim Harless. Mm -hmm. uh, she she was excited that it was back in person. Um, they had the second second graders out there, but a part of this that they always do is a T-shirt design competition. Okay. And uh, they always hold that prior to this. And Dylan, you should have a group photo there somewhere. So the these uh, all the all the little second graders there with the trophies in hand uh, were the that would have been the ten winners for the design. Okay. Um, your your first place winner. I got the name here. Let's see. The winning design was made by a North Hill Elementary student named Finley Harris. And he's there in the, um, it's the black ar Under Armour shirt there yeah. with the red shorts. That's Finley. And um, you can Good see, job, you can see uh, um, some of the um, Farm Bureau folks there behind wearing the white shirt. And on that shirt is his design. I wish I would have thrown a close up of that. Oh, there, yeah. But I didn't, I was trying, this was the last minute of me trying to get <laughs> all this together to get it on the TV this morning. That's pretty cool. Um, but we'll have a complete story that will name all the other winners. Uh, there was a total of 15 learning stations set up out there this year, and there was a number of people and organizations in, involved in that. Um, some of the animals out there, you had uh, chicks and bunnies. As you saw, there was um, horses, goats, and uh, sheep. 
there was even alpacas, longhorns, um, so just neat a number of different those kids animals. Get to see all right, of that. Right. There was even fish. There was fish out really? there. Too. Yeah, they had. <laughs> They had uh, like a long thing with a bunch of fish in it. Um, that is I, so I hope cool. to do hope to get a video together for this. Uh, we'll probably have it later. I didn't have enough time to get it ready. Um, where it happened Friday, and then we had the other stuff going on and everything. But I plan to do a video. I used to do a fun little video for this. Um, every time I'd go out to this, it's been like I said since 2019. <laughs> I know. Can you believe it's been that it's long? Been, and it felt like, and I kept telling Kim Harless, I said, and other people I'd see out there, I was like, it just feels like old times. Yeah, being out here on the farm, and it just kind of felt um, kind of nostalgic, even though it's been three years. But it just felt like it's been a long three years. Yeah. Too. Well, so, it has uh, been. It has. It has. So, In so um, many ways. We'll we'll have a uh, we'll have a video to put together for this on our website, thetelegramnews.com. I'll share that on social media as well. Um, we'll have extra photos and a photo gallery on the website, but mm -hmm. we hope to get this in a future future edition here. Um, I had a couple other little things here. I'll mention real quick. The uh, Oak Hill Union Local Schools. Um, they usually meet the third Wednesday of the month, mm -hmm. but they their meeting has changed for this month okay. um, for May, and their next scheduled meeting is set for Tuesday, May 30th at 4.30 p.m. at the Oak Hill Middle High School Library. Okay. And those meetings are open to the public, so I just wanted to mention that real quick. Mm -hmm. And I know I mentioned this, I think, last time I was on about the ancient people in the Oak Hill area, that program that was mm -hmm. being held at the Oak Hill Library. Uh, that program has been postponed. Okay. So it was supposed to be held on Thursday, May 25th, but it has been postponed. They haven't set a makeup date yet for that. And it um, was being held there at the Oak Hill Public Library. So I want to make sure I mentioned that. Very because I know good. I mentioned that as an upcoming event um, going yep. on there. Um, had a few other things here, but uh, I'm sure Pete maybe will get into this stuff at a later time where I could always get into it at another time. So. Okay. I know we're out of time. Dang so. it. <laughs> Pete talked too much today. <laughs> I, he told me to come in about 15 till and I could have the last 15 minutes. And uh, he talked, he talked a little longer than Is that. Is it because he's full of it? He was full of it today. <laughs> Yeah. Very good. No, we appreciate you stopping by, Jeremiah. You're always out and about doing uh, things, and I love that the kids finally got back to doing out the you know the down on the farm deal yes. because that's always is just a fun fun day for them. Such a cool day for them. It yeah. is. So we always need to go out and see too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some of the things you get to report on aren't all that fun, but you know, that, that's a that's good a fun one, one for sure. And the, and all those students also received a copy of that t-shirt, the winning design. Great. Thanks to a bunch of different sponsors that Love help it. with that. So, so cool. That's neat. All right. Well, have a great day, everyone. We appreciate you so much for tuning in. Um, and we'll be back here tomorrow. So have a great day. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye. This just in. The Telegram News has a new website. TheTelegramNews.com Same dedicated coverage. Same trustworthy news with a brand new look. Covering Jackson and Benton County and surrounding areas. Locally owned and operated, TheTelegramNews.com has its finger on the pulse of the community. Stay up to date on local events, high school sports, and breaking news. TheTelegramNews.com Subscribe today at TheTelegramNews.com Check it out.